Well, welcome everybody to today's College Sports Communicators Teachable Tuesday live webinar. Um, we're pleased to offer this session on working with volleyball statistics and stat rules. Uh, thanks for joining this important session as we discuss ways to assist CSC members in all areas of preparing to be a game day volleyball statistician. And in helping you understand the game rules and statistical rules you will need to follow. Our presenters are leading volleyball statisticians with extensive experience and they are here to offer their thoughts and expertise and take your questions. And we welcome your questions at any time. Just place them in the questions chat function of this Zoom. A reminder, this is not a how-to training session on using stat software like NCAA Live Stats or Presto Sports. I'm Mark Albanese, the Director of Sports Communication at Pacific Lutheran University and a member of the CSC Professional Development and Education Committee. I will serve as the webinar moderator. As a reminder, we're recording this webinar and later on the CSC website and YouTube page, you can watch it as an on-demand session. Please invite fellow current CSC colleagues to listen and watch this too. We've got a lot to cover, so let's get started. We have four great, we have four great panelists today, and they've combined to stat hundreds, if not thousands of volleyball matches in their careers, representing all three NCAA divisions. Our first panelist is Mindy Brower, the Assistant Director of Communications promotions, and marketing at Division III MIT. Mindy is the primary contact for the engineers volleyball team and is in year 21 at MIT. Our next panelist is CSC Hall of Famer and CSC Professional Development and Education Committee member, Diane Nordstrom. Diane is the, assist, the Associate Director for Brand Communication for the 2021 NCAA champion, Wisconsin Badgers. Our next panelist is Joe Reinch, the Assistant Commissioner from the Division II Pacific West Conference and current volleyball statistician for USC, Long Beach State, UCLA, and at the 2022 Men's NCAA Championships. And our final panelist is Shane White. Shane is the official statistician for USA Volleyball since 2018, a high school volleyball official in Ohio for the last 17 seasons, and a national line judge for the Professional Association of Volleyball Officials since 2017. Today's webinar will run through best practices pre-match, in-match, and post-match, along with some tricky plays and how they should be scored. We have some pre-generated questions, but we encourage everybody to ask questions in the chat function, and we'll do our best to answer them as time permits. So without further ado, let's get started, and uh, I'll shoot it over to Diane to start. Um, talk a little bit about pre-match, kind of what is the best practices to get ready for that volleyball match? Yeah, Joe and I are going to talk about how we set up matches. At Wisconsin, we actually have three people, and we sit courtside on the scorer's table. We try to sit as far away from the um, the ten around the ten foot line of that, or farther out, just for so our caller can have a, a better view of the court. Um, we do have one caller, not two. One caller, one inputter, and we also run a backup computer in case we run into issues. So, Joe, I don't know how, uh, for you guys, how you set up at other levels? Yeah, uh, usually, um, in my experience working at uh, at Division II schools, it's usually uh, one inputter and one caller. Uh, I have similar setups at uh, at the current current spots I do. Um, the There's one uh, one adjustment at, uh, at one of the, uh, at USC, they use a, uh, I'll call it an auditor or a backup caller. Uh, so that's an extra set of eyes. They tend to be watching, and we'll we'll touch on replay later on. But they're 
Um, they're actually set up with another monitor uh, that shows the broadcast. So if there is a tricky, uh, tricky play, something like that, that's just that extra set of eyes that's focused on the replay while uh, the primary caller and inputter stay focused on the live action. A couple of things that we talked about um, just to help you out is one, make sure you introduce yourself to the down ref. Um, that will help and make sure that they can let you know, especially things like blocking errors, what number player was that that had the blocking error. That is always something that's that's very good that they just show you the number as well. Um, and as, as Joe talked about, you know, know what you options you have for replay. If you're if your video, if your match is being streamed, can you go back and watch a play if you have a question on something? Um, other things we talked about is our, make sure you test your printer. You know, the last thing you want is to go to print and there's nothing there for your coaches. And the other thing is if you have a, a home tournament and you have two teams, two visiting teams, make sure you get that game code from another the opposing school or, you know, request just that personnel access through the NLS. Um, Diane, real quick question for you. Uh, how often have you had to use your backup stats input person just over the course of your career? Um, it's, it depends upon if, you know, if our primary person misses a play, then we'll go back. Um, something else is also help handy to have is just have a piece of paper right next to you. And then you can write down and say, okay, at, at this score or this line, this is where we had an issue and we need to go back and correct that. And that's again, I can either use my backup person or we can go back and refer to the video. That's great. Um, Shane, at this time, I'll kind of push it over to you. Do you want to talk a little bit about what the caller should be doing and kind of what their duties are and kind of how to teach that person what they're looking for? Sure. So we know that uh, we get our callers from, from all different uh, aspects and avenues. Uh, sometimes they're student callers, sometimes they are um, part-time folks that we bring in uh, for specifically for, for doing these types of jobs. But uh, it's always important that you kind of set the expectation for what you, what you need from your caller um, when you're doing uh, live stats for volleyball. And importantly, probably the most important thing that we all agreed on when we were talking about this is they need to not stop talking, never stop. Uh, so even if there are trouble seeing a number or can't see around a pole or something, come up with what your game plan is going to be prior to the match for what you're going to do when you can't see that number. So it, either it's calling out uh, another number that you may have uh, somewhere on the roster. It may be just calling out a number that you see and knowing that you have to go back and fix that later. But just make sure that you that the caller knows not to stop talking, because once they stop, it's incredibly difficult to get them going again and get back into the cadence and the rhythm of the flow of the match. Um, as far as training callers and, and how you might be able to do that, of course, we all rely heavily on video uh, to help with that. So using some of the training videos that are out there, um, particularly if you're using NLS on the NLS site. Um, that will allow you to, um, you know, listen to a match and listen to the calling and, and kind of see how that, that goes. Um, another way that you can do it, too, is if you're looking for a little more live, uh, live action as opposed to just doing it off of a video, 
high school seasons usually start way before the college seasons do in the end of August. So sometimes the high school seasons will start late July to, to early August. So partner up with some of your local high schools, try to get into to those matches early and see if they'll allow you to do um, some stat work for them. And that can be a good training ground for your, for your callers and for your inputters as well. And that'll give them an opportunity to kind of see live action. Um, another good thing to keep in mind is that uh, if you've got people who have experience with volleyball as a player, as a coach, um, they may have an idea of what stats mean and what certain stat terms mean. Uh, be sure that you have the conversation with them about what official stat terms mean, because sometimes the bench stats that are kept for coaches or for players might not be the same categories that we're using on our side. You know, they, they may call digs something different than what we statistically call them. Um, and, and same thing for blocks. So we want to make sure that we're all kind of singing from the same songbook as far as that goes. And be sure you have a pen and paper handy next to the computer. Anytime you're doing this, whoever is doing it, calling, inputting, whatever, always have pen and paper there ready to write in case you need to take a note on something. And then before the first serve of the match, kind of take a look at the positioning of the receiving team and see where your primary passers are and figure out, you know, from from one side to the other, what those numbers are. So the first time you're looking for that number isn't when you see the ball going to them. Awesome, that's great. Um, and then just a little bit of clarification for everybody. If you have questions, put it in the Q&A um, and then the chat, we'll keep it as a, a rolling chat function. Um, but then and a couple questions here um, for everybody, because I know people do it differently. Uh, do you do full subs? Do you not do full subs? Um, and if so, does that include tracking the libero subbing in and out? So I, uh, I, I, I prefer using full subs, but I also don't, uh, I, I recommend using it if you're comfortable with, uh, with the substitution patterns. And if you're, um, if your caller is comfortable calling it, um, when I'm inputting, I'm usually, you know, as soon as a point ends, I make it a point to kind of look at both benches, see if any subs are coming in. Uh, but where, where it's important to use full subs is, uh, if you do have something like stat boards, hustle boards that show live stats, uh, it'll, usually read the XML, um, the full subs will allow you to show the the six players who are on the court um, at any given time, um, no matter who they are. And I know the other part of the question was including the libero. Yes, um, if you are using full subs, it wants to know uh, when the libero is in and when the libero is out. And that's awesome. also going to prevent any flags from showing up. So if you do use full subs, you're going to prevent any flags from showing up in, in the NLS. And also, it would also help for if there's any issues with the official scorekeeper, they can go back and refer to your play-by-play -play for any score corrections. Um, does anybody have any additional benefits of using full subs outside of if you have a stat display? I think for me, the, the other advantage, the reason I like using it, again, if the, if the caller is comfortable with it um, and you feel confident, you can keep up with it. Uh, but what I like is if there is a, uh, a very fast moving rally, you uh, and a number is difficult to see instead of having to search through if you're late in a set and there's been four subs already, instead of trying to identify one of these 10 players who's active on the screen, you only have the six players eligible on the screen. And ideally you have hit the setter enough times that you know who the setter is process of elimination. You can eliminate that one. Um, it's, it's a little bit easier to just identify based on who's on the court. You can 
to me, I can do rallies a little bit quicker. Uh, it's easier to find the numbers because they're all in the same position on the court. But that's, like I said, it, it does need to be something that you're comfortable with because, um, yeah, if you if you fall behind and, and try to assign something, you'll have to fix the, the subs in the rotation um, in order to finalize a match. That's awesome. And, uh, and then we, we also had another question about um, over, over balls and, and do you count those as digs? Um, so I'll let, let, you know, you answer that one. So basically the question is, if there's an over ball, is that next hit? Is that being tracked? Is that a dig? Kind of talk a little bit about that and what that is statistically. So no, that uh, that one would not be a dig. Anything on an over, uh, the action would just start with the with the set after that. The same yeah, thing. And for, same and for thing a lot of people using Genius, um, there is not even an option for the dig, which is kind of nice. But some of the legacy programs does not have that. So thanks for clarification on that, um, Mindy. I'm going to turn it to you. Can you kind of talk about SID needs and kind of what the expectation is of the things you need to be successful? Um, whether it's a home match or an away match. Sure. And actually just one thing to add to some of the previous conversation we had about like developing or cultivating your group of statisticians. One thing that I've learned um, at MIT is asking if anyone who's working with you is colorblind, um, because that could definitely have an impact if you're using NLS, how you operate it, if either an inputter or a caller. So um, this situation materialized 15 years ago, so it was not relevant to this topic, but a workaround could be just, you know, at asking if, you know, if they can, if anyone can differentiate, but also just do like left or right um, for that piece. But um, moving on to just the needs that, you know, for your athletic communications colleagues, um, you know, since we're all using a variety of platforms at this point in time, um, a best practice would be to send either like the stack crew or the VRO roster since you don't know what people are using. If, you know, the host school doesn't reach out to you and you're being proactive and saying, here's my stuff for the week. Um, so feel free to, you know, to do that. And then on your word roster, if there's a difference in Jersey number for that match, just please indicate that. Um, and, you know, once again, just checking that your roster is updated in the NCAA website and kind of while you're hanging out in there, just checking that your schedule is, you know, up to date with locations and times. Um, and one thing too, is as you're, you know, developing your, you know, the game, the match or whatever in game, whether it's NLS or Presto or, you know, stack crew, just indicate, um, inactive players or try to find out inactive players, um, so that way you don't inadvertently give credit for participation or any stats go their way. Great. Um, and then, you know, we have another question coming in here um, and it pertains to when there's people who go in the net, um, how do you penalize the person that is in the net and what do you type in statistically to make that the right call? Um, and this person kind of mentions that division three, they sometimes have that two to three times a match. And just wondering how that looks statistically. I guess it depends upon when that person is in the net. If it's on a block, it's obviously a blocking error. Um, if it's on an attack, it's going to be a hitting error. So it, it may be a little more clarification on when that player is in the net. Um, but if it's something that's inadvertent, 
um, then you kind of have to to make that call. And again, maybe we can get into that maybe when we get down to the the tough plays when you're looking for something to call. Yeah, and there's some clarification on that. It, most time it was on kills that there would be the net call. So that would be an attack error. So awesome. Thanks for that. And then kind of going back to the basics and, and Joe, I'm going to push this to you. Um, you know, kind of what do you do between sets? Kind of what does that look like? Um, can I talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, so what I what I like to do between sets, once I've wrapped up the previous set, um, you kind of have that long break there. Um, but what I typically do, a lot of teams will not change starters from set to set. They might change rotations, but uh, I'll just put in the original starters. Uh, it makes it a little bit easier to, again, if a, if a number is difficult to see when, when they're in that huddle uh, prior to the set, you can again, process of elimin elimination, kind of get down to the one or two players that are missing. Um, that's that's just what I do. Um, but yeah, really pay attention to who's out there on the court because once they're ready to go, they're not waiting for the statisticians. So uh, you need to be ready to, to make sure that you've got your starters in the set because we cannot record statistics without having uh, the correct starters in. Um, kind of moving on, just, uh, just a general theme is I think Shane mentioned it earlier, but uh, just keeping up with something. You, you're either going to miss a number, you're going to miss a rally. Things are moving too quickly. Um, yes, we're we're all human. We'll we'll all miss something. Um, but the best thing to do is just keep going. I I, I anytime I'm working with uh, any kind of a new caller, um, just a reminder that I like to give them is I I don't want to spend a lot of time um, identifying one player. Uh, to get that stat 100% accurate because then you're probably going to miss the next four or five, six touches uh, trying to get the one accurate. I'd rather just move on, put in, you can put either any number, uh, skip the set, whatever it is, and then keep the rest of the stats uh, current. You can't, uh, it's a lot, it's a lot easier to fix something that you know is incorrect than it is to um, try to find things that you didn't see because you were going back to look for the one thing that was missed. Uh, and you can always write it down, even as a mental note, as an inputter. Um, I'll say, okay, that that second set, that wasn't the setter. Mentally, I, I note that so that as soon as the point is over, uh, I can just go right back to that particular touch, change it to the right number, uh, because I, I'll, I'll put in the wrong number sometimes. Um, I think we've already talked about uh, whether or not to call digs after an over or a continue. Uh, so I think we're, we're good there. That is not a dig. You just move straight on to the set. Um, one of the things uh, our group talked about was what what counts what constitutes an over versus an attack, uh, and so it's really um, I, I want to say the this is the <laughs> this is the beauty of official stats. There are certain things in the stats manual you go for the definition, and it says here's the definition, and it's in the judgment of the scorer. So it uh, for whether something is an attack or an over. Um, it, it really has to do with intent. Are they placing it in a position that's making the, the, the defense adjust or they're, um, you know, trying to, trying to put it uh, to the, where the setter has to play it to, to get the other team out of their system. Um, it, it has more to do with intent and how much effort the, the receiving team has to do to get the ball. Um, and then sometimes you will have an over that turns into a point uh, and then you'll have to just make that an attack and a kill. Uh, if that's the play, uh, if that's the case. 
One more note on blocking, uh, crediting both people who go up for a block or three people if all three go up for a block. Uh, the blockers don't have any control over where the hitter is going to uh, to hit the ball. So no matter whose arm it goes off of, if uh, two people are up for a block or three people are up for a block, they are considered uh, a unit. They're considered a block uh, and they would all get credit for that because they put up an effective block that resulted in a point for them. Uh, and I'll just keep going, Mark, unless you interrupt me. Uh, yeah, an overpass, um, let's say a serve receive, uh, someone passes it, it goes right back over the net and uh, they attack it. Um, that would be a kill and not a block because there was no attack. Uh, the person on the other side of the net is directing the ball. So that would be a kill and not a block. Um, challenge plays, uh, if there's a replay that the officials go, uh, and they replay the previous play, uh, all of those stats would be, uh, yeah, replay, that entire point is is deleted uh, as though it never happened. It's just done, done over from the start. Or if they're reviewing either in or out or what, whether there was a touch or not, um, that would just change the point. Um, the only tricky thing on Live stats is uh, if you do change an attack error to a kill on a replay, it only changes that final action. It doesn't change the set attempt to an assist. So you will have to manually change that to a set assist. Uh, and then I think we've already touched on the benefits or uh, yeah, the, the pros and cons of using full subs. Um, and I, again, I prefer it, but um, I definitely, if there's, if I'm not completely comfortable with it, if I'm working with a new caller who doesn't feel comfortable with it, uh, I, I'll turn it off uh, and we'll just go that way as well. You know, Joe, and maybe anybody can answer this too. Um, do you do any stat changes during timeouts or do you wait till the end of the set to do it? To me, it depends on how complicated it is. Um, I typically, if it's something is, um, if it's one or two touches that need to be changed, I can do those during timeouts. Um, if it's, I missed three or four touches in a rally and we've got to rewatch it, I'll usually hold that until between sets and make sure that, um, again, it's what, whatever you feel comfortable doing that allows you to stay current, um, I think is the most important part of that. Great. And then, you know, this panelist, it's a cross section. Some people are callers, some people are inputters. Um, what advice would you give to somebody who it's their first match inputting? Um, what is that advice you give them of? to get to that day and what they need to remember while they're standing that first game. Cause you know, volleyball comes at you pretty fast. Uh, I, I think, would say any practice. Oh, go ahead, Joe. No, I was, I was going to say, I thought Shane, I kind of mentioned something along those lines earlier, but get as much practice as you can, uh, whether that's watching videos, he mentioned even um, doing whatever you can to get, um, get adjusted to the speed of the live action, I think is the most important thing. Yeah, I would agree. The more you can get that computer, lots of times we'll use our, our second backup computer as a training tool. So if you do have an option of bringing in a second computer and having somebody train as an inputter, you know, that gives you another person who can you can use all season. I think another thing is knowing how to fix mistakes because I feel like that's a big stressor or anxiety producing situation. Um, so knowing how to fix things or have knowing that you have someone with you who knows how to fix things like your caller or someone else 
think that will help take some some of the edge off as well. Yeah, and you know, another thing too, if if you're by a nearby college, you can always pop over if you have a non-conference game before your first home match um, and kind of do a, a dummy game ahead of time. You know, we we have a tournament across town at UPS, so we'll go there at the start of the year to get ourselves ready to go for, for our matches. Um, you know, there's been a lot of questions about a bad set versus ball handling there. So can kind of talk about some of those nuanced plays that um, are sometimes trickier when you're statting. Yeah, I can kind of start that one off. So um, in regards to the stat definition, a ball handling error, BHE, if you're using NLS, is only something that is called by the official. So that is either a double contact or an illegal contact. So if it's a double contact or an illegal contact, then those are the times when you would use BHE. And if it's a double contact, it's usually on the second contact. Um, so that's that's when you would use BHE. A setting error, on the other hand, is uh, is basically what we refer to as a bad set that is not hittable by by the attacker, and the set you know doesn't allow for any kind of offensive um, effort to be put toward scoring a point. Yeah, I would agree that in that in that case, you need to decide: is it the setter that had the error? Or was it the hitter that the hitter made a poor approach? Um, in most cases, I would lean towards the positive by giving it to the setter an error because then it, it doesn't affect your hitter's statistics because, you know, in most cases, error towards the positive. And just as a follow-up with the ball handling error, that's called by the official. So they'll blow the whistle and stop play. So that is kind of your cue for this is a ball handling error situation not a bad set um kind of what you know diana was referring to where there's a like a set to nowhere or the attacker is trying to salvage a situation when they weren't put in a, in a successful position so kind of other other ways to visualize the situations as well that's great and mindy i'm going to keep it with you um can you explain to someone who is learning how to stat call kind of what an over and continue is like, how is the best way to explain those two situations? Sure. So with a, an over, it's just the ball is moved to the other side of the net. Um, so that's one thing where regardless of which stat platform I'm using, I'll, I'll say over with NLS, there's no actual action. You just move the mouse continue. There's the attack and the action continues on the same side of the net. So that's just a way. And once again, with NLS, there's nothing to to enter, but it's just the way the over ball goes over. Um, it switches sides to continue. It continues on the same side. And when things get wacky where you have continue over, continue over, I just start it's kind of what we were talking about when the rallies get, get a little out of hand sometimes. Just say, we're going to start like set on the left side just to kind of provide some stability to that situation. And over is considered just the ball. There's somebody's trying to keep the ball in play and, and send it over the net. They're not trying to attack the ball. They're just trying to keep it in play. Uh, continue is usually going to happen off a block by the opposing team where it continues, like Mindy said, continues on the same side of the court. Great, great. And then kind of let's dive into some of these trickier plays, the tough plays. Um, we kind of already mentioned trying to give the positive stats versus the negatives, um, but maybe talk about, you know, back row setting, 
um, you know, hitting rope, hitting air for a setter if they attack, kind of some of those nuanced plays. Sure. Yeah. Um, if you're have a school or a, you know opposing school, whatever, who's running an offense that uses a back row setter at times, um, you'll want to become familiar with two main uh, officiating signals. The first one is this one, which is a back row block. Um, and then the other one, which is an illegal attack, which is just kind of the, the hand down like that. Um, what's important about those is they, they are two different kinds of errors if they occur with your setter. So if you see the illegal attack, then it's going to be an attack error on the setter um, if she's back row and sends the ball over in the front zone. Um, if you see the back row block signal, then that's going to be a blocking error on the setter. Um, and the attack and kill will go to the player who hit the ball into her on the other side. Right. And then, you know, if there's a 50-50 ball, there's both sides are going up at, at the net. Um, how do you typically score that? Um, you know, is it is it a kill? Is it a block? How, how do you kind of decide what that play is? I consider that a kill for whoever wins that joust. So basically both players from the opposing teams, they're both trying to score. And, you know, whoever wins that, joust wins the point so that's that's typically kill in a lot of cases you're going to see your setters doing that and the setter since they're kind of used to that and they have those strong hands they are probably going to win that joust. so yes that would be a kill great great and then you know if somebody's out of rotation um how is that getting inputted in, in your stat program when that happens So out of rotations are called on serve. Um, so it's either the serving team or the receiving team that's out of rotation. Um, if it's just a rotation error, meaning that there's an overlap somewhere, either on the serving or receiving team, uh, then if it's on the serving team, then it goes as um, a service error. If it's on the receiving team, it goes as an ace and the reception error goes to the team. Um, so those difference. If it's an improper server, so it is the wrong server, technically the serve is the service error, but the service error should go to the person who is supposed to be serving. So you may not know that in the moment. Uh, you probably aren't going to know that in the moment. So that may be one where if you know that they're calling them out of rotation because the server, it was an illegal server, you might want to circle that one and write that down and find out later from the official score who the actual server was supposed to be because technically they're the ones who, is who are supposed to get that error. Awesome. And then Shane, would you mind going over some common volleyball signals so people just kind of have the awareness of, of what they are? Sure. So we did the illegal attack and the um, and the illegal back row block. Um, some of the others that you'll commonly see, um, if you see the two, that is the the double contact. So when you use your ball handling error um, key in that regard, and then if you see kind of a, a lifting motion there, that's for the illegal contact, which can also be a ball handling error. Um, I've seen the attack, and the uh, other than that, you know, touch and out are pretty common. Of course, the standard end call. Um, for a net violation, what is supposed to happen is the second referee is supposed to initiate that. They're supposed to point at the net, then give you the number, and then award the point. 
And then the first referee will repeat that number. So if you miss the second referee giving you the number to begin with, the first referee should repeat that number for you so that you'll have a second opportunity to see who who the um, blocking error was on, who the net call was on. And um, if you do have a rotation error, it's gonna be like this is what you're gonna see. So uh, don't see those a lot in, in the college game, but um, occasionally they do happen and uh, they'll usually happen at the most inopportune time. So <laughs> just be sure that you're, you're aware and, and ready for that. And uh, I think that's the majority of, of what you, you would typically see. Oh, if you do see a four hits, that means that there was no touch on the block. So the ball was contacted four times on one side. That's a good indicator for you. Um, sometimes if you see a ball kind of go into the tape and then it's played again and the officials stop play and call four, sometimes folks will think that was a block because they'll think that the ball you know, got blocked down. But if they're calling four hits, then it is solely an attacking error and there was no block on the play. They're saying that the block did not touch the ball. Great. And then uh, some questions coming in about on serving and, and whether it's a service ace, um, what's your discretion of like who receives the reception air? When do you give it to an individual? When do you give it to a team? Kind of talk about how you deal with that. So the rule states that the second ball, if the second ball is unplayable, then it's a service ace. So basically if, if the receive shanks the ball into the thing that's an easy call or if the ball lands on the opposite side of the court that's an easy one but if if the second ball is unplayable then it's an ace so in most cases it's obvious that that player goes to that goes to whoever shanked the ball um, sometimes maybe the ball lands between two players on the court and then it's up to you as the statistician um, you can give it to one of those two players, or you can give it a team since maybe you didn't know who was supposed to receive that ball. So it's kind of up to the discretion to your caller who receives that reception error. And no, one of the things we talked about the other day too, is that, you know, if the, if the ball hits the tape and kind of trickles over, um, 99 times out of 100, I'm going to give that as a team reception error um, because there's there's no player that was would be able to make that play. You'll occasionally get a player who will try to make a play on that um, or who may be successful in making a play, but um, it's, it's one of those situations where we want to try to give the positive versus the negative. Don't want to penalize someone with a reception error when really there was nothing they could do about the ball hitting the top of the tape before it went over. Right. And then, you know, statting games have, has anybody ever had a situation where a coach is blocking their view of, of statting the game? And how do you go about handling that situation when that arises? Yeah, I just try to work around them. So if it's, um, yeah, it's either leaning, it's even moving, you know, if the spot, if the color's got to move just a little bit to see around them, um, yeah, I, I tend tend not to not to interrupt the coaches while they're while they're coaching the match. I know it's less than ideal. There's there's some places that uh, you, yeah you just can't avoid it. It's going to happen. Um, but but do your best to to work around it. Um, I think I think one thing, uh, and then this kind of goes back to even pre match, but just something that I'll try to do in communicating with the caller is you know a lot of times I'll say well I can see the serve receive here. I'll get 
I'll get the pass maybe, um, especially if there's a coach in the way, um, just communicating. Okay. I've got a, I've got a good angle on this portion of the, of the net and I'll keep an eye on that and, and help out a little bit. Um, so I think there's, um, it, it maybe forces you to communicate between caller and inputter a little more. Um, but yeah, I typically will not ask coaches to move because they, um, yeah, they have the, the right to be there. Um, it's not ideal for us as statisticians, but I, for me, I've got to just do the best we can to work around that. I know one of the, one of the people on our call, when we discuss this with, and, and we do this too at Wisconsin is we have to use headphones. So, you know, we, we can't, you know, we can't hear over our crowd. So our stats people are on, on headsets and that makes it much easier for them to either, like you, like Joe said, to communicate with, with each other and say, oh yeah, I saw that versus maybe the caller didn't. And well, I have the luxury of not having anyone, any spectators behind our scores table. So we just, as a caller, I stand or anyone who is calling, they tend to stand just for, even if the down ref's in the way kind of thing. So if you have the ability to do so um, in those situations, because it happens with me in basketball, and the, the, the referees in, in my line of sight. So um, I might pop up every once in a while, but yeah, depending on your setup, if you need to stand, you might need to do that as well. Great. That's awesome. Uh, another question, kind of a specific scenario. Um, when there's kind of a, there's an overball that lands for a kill, um, would you ever credit an assist on that? Perfect. Kind of moving on. Um, Shane, can you kind of touch on the differences between men's and women's volleyball? Um, you know, I sure. think these people, it's, they have women's volleyball, but some people around the country also have the men's and there are some differences to the to the two. Yeah. And and to that point, too, I saw a couple other questions in the Q&A about the number system that we use on the women's side. So I'll explain that as I explain some of the differences here between men and women. Um, so there are basically uh, two big differences if you're statting or three big differences between if you're statting men's matches versus women's matches. Um, one of the big ones is that on the men's side, they use they can use two Libros. So you may have uh, the ability to put two Libros into your stat system. Um, those Libros can exchange um, throughout the entire match. So uh, one Libro may start, the next rally, the other Libro may come in at, in the same position for that Libro. Um, so there's a lot of movement sometimes on the men's side, and sometimes they'll use those uh, one Libro they'll use for serve receive. And then when they're serving, they'll put the other Libro in uh, for for other defensive purposes. Um, the other big or another big difference between the men's and the women's game as far as officiating is concerned is that on the men's side, when there is a net violation, they do not give numbers. So they actually point at the net and then point at the player who was the uh, the offender in the net. So it'll be a point at the net and then a point out to, to whatever player uh, was in the net. If you talk with your uh, second referee ahead of time, as we were discussing earlier, you can sometimes get them to signal back to you discreetly what that number is, because it may not always be clear. Sometimes it's, it's very clear and you can tell exactly who's in the net, but sometimes it may not be. And so uh, if you, you know, ask them at the beginning of the match, if they could kind of give you the number on the side, most of them will be willing to do that for you to kind of show you that, you know, it was 23 that was in the net or whoever. Um, and then the other big difference is 
and this is part of why we point instead of using numbers for the men, we use uh, USA Volleyball Mechanics and FIVB Mechanics as opposed to the uh, NCAA Mechanics. So for an illegal attack, where we said for women's it's this, on the men's side, it's going to be this, where it comes in front of your face, comes up and down in front of your face. So that would be an illegal attack on the men's side. Um, so the question about numbers, I'll give you briefly. So we're taught to fill up our right hands first and then go to our left hand when we're doing numbers. So if I'm doing seven, I'm going to do it this way so that when you're reading it, hopefully you're seeing five, then two, and that becomes seven. Um, when we're doing a number that is has a 10 in it, it's going to be, this is 10 and two, so that makes 12, okay? So same thing, if it's number 15, it's gonna be the fist and five for 15. Um, just a fist by itself is 10, that'll be zero. Um, and then the one number that is different from everything is three. So three is actually like this. Um, and that there's a very long story about that that I'm not sure I buy, but three is, is that's the number for, for, for three. So if you were doing 13, it would be 13 like that. Awesome. And then, you know, a question for everybody when you're statting, um, do you use a laptop and a mouse or using a touch screen? Kind of what is your preference when, when doing volleyball? We actually have touch screens, but we also put a mouse with the touch screen. So it kind of depends upon your inputter, what they prefer. Some find it easier just to do the touch screen, but others are still kind of like, no, I like to use the mouse. So I guess it, it'd be a question of who your inputter is and what they would prefer. Great, great. And then we talked a little bit about some of this earlier, but how do you score when um, somebody who's not attacking or blocking runs into the net? How would that be scored in, in the staff programs? Yeah, again, I think it is just it has to do with what what type of action they're doing when they contact the net. So, um, yeah, I, I think as Diane said, it's if they're if it's on the swing or it's right after the swing on an attack, it would be an attack error. If it's someone going up for a block, trying to go in for a block, that would be a block error. Uh, but let's say it's a setter trying to uh, trying to get the ball up, just isn't able to avoid the net. Um, so that would be in, in that case, because the, the setter is making an attempt to set the ball, that would be. Uh, a set error, uh, but it yeah it, it's not necessary. A, a lot of these officials' actions aren't. Uh, they don't all necessarily mean it's always this. It depends on what type of actions being taken when the error is made. Awesome. Hey Shane, you did a great job showing all the numbers. Um, can you do an example of what twenty one would look like? Sure, sure. Yeah. So twenty one. I'd put two on my right hand and one over there should be twenty one. You will see some officials who might stagger. They might go like this to make it clear indication that it's 21, but you know, by rule it's, it's that way. Yep. Awesome. And then, you know, when things are going great in volleyball, things are going great, but they can go sideways pretty quickly. Um, so can the group kind of talk about the troubleshooting that goes on when unusual crazy play or something happens and you, you have to catch up kind of, how do you go about doing that? Mindy, can we kind of lead off with you? Sure, definitely. Um, so kind of what we've all said, just, you know, give yourself some grace. You're not going to get 
everything that's going to occur as much as we want to get all the stats. Um, it's just too quick to process and then communicate that information to the person who's inputting and have them process it. And you're already like three actions behind. So get as much as you can, you know, as we keep saying, have scrap paper around, especially if like the computer freezes or decides to do updates in the middle of something, just have, you know, just write your, you know, your caller, keep calling, find your, you know, best finding Nemo and just keep calling. Um, if something needs to be edited, either, you know, flag it, make a note of the, you know, the line. Um, and if you know specifically which action needs to be addressed, um, definitely note that, you know, I, give positive feedback to your crew when you get through a long rally, a wacky point. Uh, I'm fortunate that as a caller, my inputters will give me a fist bump. Um, so I appreciate that from them. Um, and as we discussed earlier, if it's possible to have like your, your web stream up just, you know, as a point of reference for if, you know, there's a wacky rally and then a timeout, you could then review things. Um, and then, you know, just if things are going sideways and you know, like the match is over, but you need to resolve something in a different set, just let the visiting team communications folks know, hey, we're working on something, it might take some time, please bear with us. Um, so just give that heads up. Um, and as I kind of referenced earlier, when it is going wacky, just pick a point for everyone to get on the same page. So as I said, like, you know, start with set on the left side so everyone can catch their breath um, and carry on from there and then just try to try to move forward. Awesome. Thanks. And you touched a little bit about live stream. Um, and I know we touched about it just a little bit at the start. Um, can kind of people talk about what, how they use a live stream, um, as they're statting through a match? Yeah. So the, the, the one situation at USC where there is a second laptop that has, um, you know, what used to be Twitter Media Studio, but it had that ability to just scroll back and forth in the stream was is extremely helpful. Um, I don't have that access everywhere that I go, uh, but in in uh, at Long Beach State, all of their matches are on ESPN Plus. So I'll pull up the uh, the live stream there. Uh, that one does allow me to pause and rewind if I need to. Uh, it runs you know, somewhere around a 20, 20 second delay. So it's a point or two behind usually. Uh, so sometimes we luck out and are able to watch it uh, just straight through and kind of verify something. Other times it's like, okay, we've got to go back to, uh, we'll write down the point number. And then again, whether it's on a timeout when you have more time to evaluate it, whether it's looking for one touch or, you know, there's, there's a few times that between sets, I just say, we need to rewatch the rally at 1511 um, and I'll find where I'm off. Usually I'm missing one or two touches, but that threw the whole point off. Um, but yeah, having the ability to, you know, know exactly what it is you're looking for, where it is you're looking for, having that replay is if you are streaming and have that ability um, to access the stream on a, a second machine that's off to the side just for another look at something. Um, it usually doesn't take too long to to make those adjustments, um, but it's extremely helpful to, to get a lot closer to that 100% than we would be otherwise. Awesome. Then, you know, Mindy, you're at a smaller school. Um, how do you use live stream replay in, in your work this actually materialized saturday during our tri-match where my um caller kind of she got a little ahead of the action and then got lost in how the play ended so like all right i'll pull up the webcast we'll check it out and it was like okay here's there was a block by the opposing team this is who's in the block 
this is who had the attack and that's how we you know resolve the point so it's kind of in, in that case you know it's a function of camera angle and uniforms and things like that so but it was one of the few times where I've I've gone to that since we were you know fortunately staffed for that to happen but sometimes it's just a clarification of how the play ended or if you know just figuring out what might have transpired great and I'll kind of piggyback on that too I always have my phone up with our live stream um, and it doubles so I know when the live stream's down if it goes down and then I can also use it to identify if I miss something quickly so great tool to have and a lot of people do have at least a rudimentary live stream I think uh, also so if you have your if you know in, in our case, if the opposing SID is traveling, you know, they may be, the, may be able to point out an, an error or help you with something as well. Or, you know, even with watching between the live stats and a, and a live stream, um, if they're not traveling, maybe they can say, no, that should have been a kill to number whoever it is. So, you know, you can rely on your opposing SID as well. Yeah, and that's great because they're always going to know their team better than you will. So great resource. And, you know, even if they're not there, you know, reach out to them real quick with a question and they might be able to answer. Um, and then, you know, Diane, I'm going to push it back to you. Kind of what do you do in that post-match? The match just ended. How are you wrapping things up? How are you concluding that match? Um, since we use Genius, that I make sure the stats people, you know, print out once the match is final, they print out, um, a final stats for the coaches. And this would be even before they correct any flags or anything like that, just so that the coaches have at least some idea of what the final stats are gonna be. Then I have them go back, okay, make make any corrections, um, fix any flags. Um, and we talked about this is that in most cases that if you can't figure out what the flag is for, it's probably gonna be a substitution. So you probably might've missed a substitution and that's why a play is flagged. Um, then once everything is printed out, all your things are fixed, so you can finalize your match. Then it automatically goes to the NLS site. So your opposing players can you know, download the XML, they can download the game book. One thing that I've discovered is that my coaches really like the entire game book because of the additional reports that it prints out. So if you guys, if, you know, your coaches might want to see what an entire game book looks like, if you guys don't normally print out the game book for them. So, you know, check with your coaches, see, hey, this game book prints out all these additional parts. Are you interested in these? And they might say yes. And it's a simple, you know, print a couple extra two pages on that. Um, so, and other than that, it's pretty much you're all done. And with Genius, it's great because you don't have to send anything to your opposing teams. You know, stack courier is still gonna have to send like an XML to your opponent. Um, I've never worked with Presto, so I don't know what happens there. Great. And then uh Joe, it sounds like there's a scenario you're gonna answer here about uh bad reception digs. Yeah, so the uh, the description, um, the thing, the key point of that one uh talks about the setter attempting to set the ball straight up, the ball's touched down by a blocker that's um also up uh up at the net. Uh, and the, the question is asking, uh, do we credit a block if the setter is available to attack or a kill? I would go kill in that scenario because the uh, the setter has the ability to set, uh, is attempting to set. And if the ball is legally touched on the other side of the net, if they can get to it and they put it down, I would go kill on that one. Um, to, to, to me, there's no, 
Um, that would affect your team attack percentage if you um, charged your setter with an attack. It would charge the setter's attack percentage uh, on on a ball that they were not attempting to uh, attempting to attack. It's a uh, just a quality play on the other side of the net by someone who um, you know, gets gets to the ball uh, in a legal attacking position and puts it down. I, so I would go kill in that scenario. Just Great. a reminder that the ball has to cross the plane of the net in order for it to be eligible. So, and maybe that's something Shane wants to talk about, like, like what the official might call if the ball has not crossed the plane of the net or if it has. So that's, that's a very good point. Um, if the ball does not enter the plane of the net, um, so it means it can't legally be um, touched by the player on the opposing side, you will get a reaching over call, which looks like this. Um, and in that instance, you can you, you can make a determination. I would probably go with a uh, an attack error on the person who is getting the reaching over on it, because in order to give a blocking error on that, you would have to have an attack from the other side. And you didn't really didn't have an attack from the other side. You just had somebody trying to play the ball up on their own side and someone else got a little over anxious and, and went over the net. So in that instance, I would give that an attacking error on the, the side who's called for reaching over. Awesome. That's great. Um, another question that came through, we kind of touched about some of the advanced analytics you can get from Genius. Um, but does anybody have coaches that kind of use a lot of volleyball metrics or they use huddle to break down film and do they ever compare stats and how do you approach that if if there's maybe some discrepancies on what they're seeing versus what you've statted in game? Our coaches have one of our assistant coaches on the bench doing volleyball, volleyball metrics um, for all matches. They've never asked me to compare a stat, but also the comparisons are different um like for us a blocking error is only when somebody is is in the net to them a blocking error is going to be somebody if the block goes out of bounds so there are the stats are different um we have used their stats for like if we're looking for something for a spring match um and there's nobody there to stat we actually will use the their stats for a spring match but i know for most teams they probably don't do anything with spring but we do so but they've never criticized our stats compared to their stats just because of the differences. Great. And then uh, Shane, do you kind of want to talk to everybody about the, the first touch after a block touch and if that becomes kill kind of how that gets inputted? Yeah. So we were kind of discussing online in the Q and a about um, block touches and then what happens after a block touch and can that be considered a dig or if a kill directly relates? And so I'll give you a kind of a, a few scenarios that were pointed out in here. So the first one was um, if immediately after a block touch, the next action is an attack and a kill, does the person who had the block touch get credit for a dig? And the answer is no in that regard, because the block touch in and of itself is not considered the first contact um, because block touches aren't considered contacts. So in order for it to be a con in order for it to be a dig, it would have to be the first contact after an attack. It's not technically a first contact. So it only goes as an attack and a kill potentially for for the attacker in that scenario. Um, now, if you have uh, the situation where I was just looking at here and it says if the first touch after the block touch is attacked and you put that touch into NLS, it records it as a dig. And then if you give the team a point, it's going to ask 
change dig to a kill, I believe. So do you put yes and then delete the dig? Um, yes, that's that's what you would, would need to do on that one in particular, because it's the block touch that, that you're putting in as the first contact. The best way to do that live, if you can, and if you can remember it, is when you're on that attacking side, do a skip set and then the number of the attacker uh, who did it, and then you won't get prompted about a dig at all. You may get prompted for an assist, but um, you will get, you can just say no in, in that regard and just go directly to the attacker. But um, the only time that you will have, and I, I think this is a fair statement, the only time you're gonna have a dig and a kill by the same person back to back is if it is an overpass where you know the player first ball over, sends it over, and then it just falls to the ground on the other side because nobody plays it. Um, in that regard, you have to give a dig, uh, if unless it's serve-receive. You'll have to give a dig if it's off an attack, and then you'll have to give a kill to that player because it resulted in a point. That's awesome. And then, you know, one question that did come through, I think it would be great to answer that for the group, is if somebody serves the ball and the other team receives it, it's, it's a weak hit on the reception and then there's a weak set that they're kind of diving to get it and then there's a third hit and it doesn't go over how are you scoring that yeah so ba based on that description uh i would i would probably go with an ace um if this if the setter's on a full sprint just to try to keep the ball i i alive rather than trying to set up a teammate and even even though they make contact with it but it's still another uncontrollable um set that somebody else is attempting to get to and, and can't even just get it over the net on the other side um yes i know there's three touches there but the fact that um neither of the neither the second nor the third touch were really able to be controlled or played properly uh i would go back to the the first one being being a bad dig or a bad pass um and credit either the ace or the kill in that situation. Awesome. Thanks, Joe. Uh, one final question, Shane, you have a fan club. Uh, they'd like to see you do uh, like a 30 or a 32 just for entertainment purposes. Oh, okay. So here's your 30 and here's your 32 awesome. or 33. If you want to 33 right there. Well, well thanks Shane. That's awesome. Um, thanks to all our panelists. This is super informative and, and thanks for the audience for participating. Um, big thanks to our presenters today and the discussion and insights on this Teachable Tuesday. Again, this webinar will be on demand later today. So share that with your colleagues, um, your other statters, your inputters, whatever. Some great knowledge on this today. Um, we encourage you to check our website, collegesportcommunicators.com, for updated information on what's on tap for CSE programming and continued education. Uh, later this month, we're offering a session on using social media data and analytics with more webinars to come in November. Um, so stay tuned on those dates and topics that will be announced later. And thanks again for being with us today.